0: Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mark Kulin of Cedar Peak Mortgages. Mark and his wife, Diane, founded Cedar Peaks after being real estate agents for many years. We discussed the ABCs of private lending, construction financing, accredited investing, how private lenders evaluate marketability, suitability, and credit rating when funding a deal. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Mark, I just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. And if you could just start off maybe by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself
1: and what's keeping you busy these days. Thanks, Corey. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. My name is Mark Pullen. I am currently the broker of record and CCO of a mortgage brokerage company and an exempt market dealer. We're in the business of private lending, which we'll get into more as to what exactly private lending is throughout this segment. I have been involved in the banking, real estate, and lending business basically for 45 years. So well-versed in this industry. Cedar Peaks Mortgage Services was founded in the year 2022 by myself and my wife, Diane. And if I was to be totally honest, it'd be my wife, Diane, and me following behind. (laughs) Uh, So we have an over 20-year record in this industry, and I look forward to sharing more of this information with you uh, over the next hour or so.
0: Yeah, amazing. I'm excited to dive into it. What kind of inspired you guys to start a private lending company and start off with that, and then we'll start digging into other stuff.
1: I met my wife shortly before we founded Cedar Peaks Mortgage. We got married in 1998, and for the next two or three years, we both were realtors. We were in the real estate field and found that it became very demanding. I'd been a realtor for 15 years. Diane, probably three years or so. But we found that very demanding on our time. Nights, weekends, trying to be also a single parent myself with a younger daughter. And we were just looking for something a little bit different that we could control our time a little bit more. good friend of mine was in the private lending business. His history was with Alberta Opportunity Corporation. So for those of you that have been around a long, long time, you may remember that it was a provincial government agency set up for funding small businesses. Very, very similar to what the business development BDC Bank does today. Anyways, through economic times, the Alberta government shut that AOC down and he started Private lending. He was a real estate client of mine and also a bank client of mine, as I had both realtor and bank manager experience. And I was talking to him one day and I go, man, I sure would like a change of something. You know, it's pretty demanding on the time that Diane and I have. And so he suggested I join his firm at private lending and we did and just grew it from there. It's been a wonderful fit.
0: Amazing. Like as a realtor, were you doing some real estate investing deals, like JV deals, that kind of thing? Did you see maybe the power of the private lending from scenarios like that?
1: I sure experienced a lot of it with my clients. I didn't do any real estate investing myself, but certainly I assisted my clients in a lot of those types of transactions during my day in real estate.
0: And then during the introduction, you said that exempt market dealer. What is that?
1: Can you define that for me? Sure, absolutely. So there's two branches of private lending. One is Cedar Peak's Mortgage Services, which is regulated and licensed by the Real Estate Council of Alberta, and it permits us to, in simple terms, deal in mortgages so we can review applications and fund mortgages. The exempt market dealer part of it is where the Alberta Securities Commission comes in and in their opinion, and this happened in 2010, 2011, after the financial crisis of 2008-9, the Securities Commission decided that they needed more regulation in the private lending MIC, Mortgage Investment Corporation, large funds, with the result of the meltdown in 08. So, through lots of negotiations and town hall meetings and so on, the Securities Commission started regulating our industry. And so the one arm is to fund mortgages. The other arm is I need to raise money to fund those mortgages from investors. And to do that, you must be an exempt market dealer and be licensed and registered in that sector of selling securities. The reason it's called an exempt market dealer is we are exempt from filing a prospectus. We're exempt from preparing an offering memorandum, hence the word exempt. If you've done investing in stocks, bonds, even larger development projects, you've been familiar with prospectus and offering memorandums. We are exempt from that, but we are deemed to be selling a security. So we need to be licensed and registered accordingly and have that exempt market dealer firm The name of that firm is Cedar Peak's Management Corp. So they're two separate entities, two separate functions, both required for me to stay in business.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, you're working with investors kind of on both sides of the equation or the funnel, right? So you've got investors that that maybe have capital that invest into your company, so then you can lend out the money. And then you also have people that are on the other side maybe doing flips and the different types of things, right? Where they require quick capital to close type
1: stuff. We've got two separate things. We have borrowers, we have investors. Investors, yeah. And I'm the middle guy. I match borrowers with investors. Nice. Can you
0: maybe share some information about what type of investors you're seeing? What are they doing? And where does Cedar Peak's mortgages kind of fill the gap?
1: To become an investor with our exempt market dealer management corp, Under securities legislation, you must be an accredited investor. An accredited investor, by definition of the Securities Act, is you must have $1 million or more in net financial assets. That is different than net worth. Net worth includes your house, your boat, your art, your jewelry, your motor home, your recreational property. That's all in net worth. A net financial asset... Is stocks, bonds, investments, accounts, TFSAs, RSPs, you know, cashable. Okay. So you must, to meet the accredited investor status, have a million dollars or more of net financial assets. If you don't meet that, there are two other criteria. One is yourself personally must have a minimum of $200,000 income in the previous year, the current year, and reasonable expectations for the following year. Or if you want to include disposal income, $300,000 of household income, and again, current year, previous year, and reasonable expectations for the next year. So those qualifications will make you an accredited investor and eligible to invest in our mortgages. There's another aspect to that, and that is just because you're accredited and meet those criteria doesn't mean you're suitable and the securities commission is very very aware and conscious and highly regulated in suitability so you could be an 84 year old grandma that has 1.2 million dollars technically accredited but technically not suitable for higher risk investments so not only must you be accredited you must be suitable. And that is up to our due diligence team to identify that and justify that.
0: That's interesting. I haven't heard that part tied to the accredited before. Yeah. And now, I mean, it's kind of apparent, but what's the reason why can't the average person that maybe, you know, aren't the top, whatever percent this is, maybe, is it 3% of people or what would you say? Like, is this top 5% of people could be accredited? Like, just throw in I, a percentage, a guess
1: yeah, <laughs> for me. I wish I could guess
0: that, but I I don't know how many- Could actually else. be accredited. Yeah, it's, it's not a statistic that's readily available, right? But it's not everybody. It's more of a lower oh, no. number, right? No. And obviously it's to protect people. But maybe if you get to speak to that, what's the reason why the government requires you to be accredited?
1: It's absolutely the Securities Commission. They will tell you what their mandate is, consumer protection. That's their number one mandate.
0: Basically, if you don't have the financial ability to maybe take the risk, then you shouldn't be doing it kind of thing, right? If your exactly. life savings that you're putting out there, trying to you know get a great return on an investment, maybe it's just too much risk.
1: Absolutely. Again, that came back from the 2008 financial crisis. I just call it the 2008 financial crisis. We all were there where they decided too many people lost too much money with lack of regulation, lack of accountability particularly for developers that were building large-scale, high-rise towers and shopping malls. We were quite adverse to them regulating the little guy who just does mortgages, but They didn't see it that way, so they put us all in one bundle.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah,
1: and you guys- the result of it.
0: I don't see the private lending that you guys do as particularly high risk, but obviously it's in that category. How would you view it? Like, because you guys have control over the underwriting and the asset and that kind of stuff, like you do have a lot of control, I would think, right?
1: We have total control, absolutely. We're very experienced in our due diligence, underwriting, and this is what we realize. We realize that when we agree to fund a mortgage and we go out and raise the money from our investor pool, if our investors are constantly losing money because we didn't do our due diligence, didn't keep our interests where they should have been, I'm going to be out of business. And I've been in business over 20 years with some investors that have been with me all 20 years. And the reason for that is we know where our bread and butter lies, we know where our future lies, and we better take care of their money.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then so what type of investments are you seeing people do? Like what's a client, maybe we could just talk to that, that would typically come to you guys and say, oh, I need cash to close and obviously probably pretty quick turnaround as well, right?
1: That's a certain portion of our business for sure. And if I had three days, I could put up a pile of paper beside me here and go over every deal we've done in the last year and everyone would be somewhat different. Everyone. So some would be the short term close for sure. How our business has evolved, and you may recall about five years ago, I believe, the federal government, this is not the Securities Commission, this is the federal government, brought in a stress test where to get a mortgage, you had to qualify for an interest rate two points higher than the posted rate. After that, they brought in loan to value restrictions, they brought in home equity line of credit restrictions. It has been a constant evolving from the federal government and head offices of a lending financial institutions to make it tougher and tougher and tougher to meet the regulations as set out by the federal government. There's an entity called OSFI, which is the Office Superintendent of Financial Institutions. They're like the Securities Commission. They really are. They're there to protect the bank's customers, the bank's bottom line, the bank's capital, Mm -hmm. and uh, very similar to the Securities Commission on the investor side. So we're not regulated by those same bank regulations and Bill C-20 and all those stress tests and maximum loan to values and so on. We don't have those regulations. On the other side, like I went back a couple minutes ago, if I'm losing my investors' money, I'm not going to be in business very long. So in recent years, there's become a higher, higher demand for private lending. And when I go do presentations to the mortgage brokerage community, and I know you're going to get into where do I get my deals from, and we'll get into that. But when I do presentations to them, I use a simple principle of ABC. It's quirky, but it works. And brokers go, what do you mean ABC? I say, when you get a client to come to you looking for a mortgage. The first thing you do after you gather your documentation and review it is determine whether that file qualifies for a mortgage lending. A would be your banks, credit unions, and then there's a number of monoline lenders that consumers cannot approach directly. They are only broker connected lenders and quite often are better rates than even your own bank. So I say, start with A, because you are obligated to do the best job for your client as well. If A doesn't work, then you go down to B. And B is kind of between private and A, obviously. And there are a number of B lenders, but they also are under the OSFI and federal government regulations with regards to income and T4 and stress tests and GDS, TDS and loan value, all that stuff. They're no different than the A lenders. And those lenders are lenders like Equitable Bank, Home Trust, Optimum Mortgage, Haven Tree. There's a number of them that are in that B level, not A, B. I call them the 5.9 lenders or A's. Used to be 1.9, by the way. (laughs) Your B lenders are your 7.9 lenders. And then there's Cedar Peaks, which are your 10.9 lenders. So, if it's not A, it's not B, then the next place you go to is C, and I just throw in a little A, B, Cedar Peaks mortgage. And that nice. uh, yeah. no way they remember it, right? They do. I'm walking down the hallways at conferences, and people go, Hey, A, B, C. So it works. So that's the level of tiers, how we get our business, and we tend to be more flexible. Not quite as regulated with regards to the gross debt service, the total debt service, the loan to value, location, so on and so forth, T Ford income, business for self income. All of these are very, very difficult in the A and B world. So, over the last four or five years, one or two years, there's been a higher demand. What used to be A slipped to B, and then what used to be B is now slipped down to C.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, with the mortgage brokers, they can't get a loan from the A lender or B lender. Is it typically like they're looking for a shorter term, maybe 12, 24 months, and then maybe the client's financial situation's changed, or they've got two years credit rating, that kind of thing, and then they can maybe go to an A after that? Is that what kind of the long-term plan?
1: That is exactly what we hope. Although, we've got mortgages on our books that have been with us three, four, and five years. So what we found, this is interesting, what we found over the last couple of years is we gave a loan two or three years ago with the hopes that they would be able to move, I call it the ladder, the rung, right? You're, you're down here on rung number three, and you want to move up to rung number two, which is the B, and then eventually you want to move up to rung number one, which is the A, okay? However, with, with the increased regulations that continue to come in from the federal government and OSFI, People that come up for renewal with the private and alternative B lenders, they can't move up the ladder, so they just don't meet these newest regulations. So it's very difficult, and we're going to see more and more of that. As I mentioned, you know, rates used to be 1.9, 2.4, whatever. Now they're in that five and a half to six and a half percent range. Those mortgages are all coming up for renewal, and those borrowers and homeowners, and whether you're in the A, B or C world, they're going to have trouble getting out of where they're at with the rise in interest rates. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting next couple of years for sure.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. When mortgage brokers know about what you do in your service, I think it's definitely like another tool in the toolbox, right? Where they can get deals done that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do. I had a deal just recently, the stars aligned, I got it under contract for my clients, and we didn't have to go too crazy over, Calgary market's gone crazy for the entire 2023 for sure. And unfortunately, I don't know which broker they're working with, it ended up unraveling and they couldn't get the financing. And then I had a conversation with them this week, and this is maybe unraveled about a week ago, Another mortgage broker found a private lender that could get a deal done for them. And I'm like, oh, you know, the other mortgage broker would have explored that avenue. And then they could have got this place because they were still happy with the interest rates that the private lender was offering. And the one person is new to to Canada. So there was a few things there, a few moving parts to the file. So unfortunately, it did unravel. And I think because the first mortgage broker wasn't aware of some of these other options. Yeah, we do see
1: that for sure, periodically. Mortgage brokers, especially today, need to be very well versed and committed to knowing the industry, knowing the products, because they are getting more difficult to place.
0: Yeah. When you guys do underwrite a deal, obviously it's not as stringent, but what type of things are important to you guys to make sure that it, you know it's checking your boxes?
1: I guess first and foremost is we have to go into every file knowing that there's a possibility that we could end up owning this property or at least having to liquidate this property under foreclosure. So we look at, is this a property that has marketability to it? So we got a deal yesterday for Wembley. I'm not even sure where Wembley is. I think it's up near Grand Prairie, actually. But very, very, very limited marketability. Population of 400, agricultural you know that wouldn't be something that we would take on because if we ever had to own it or foreclose on it or sell it very limited marketability so one of the first things we look at is is this a type of property that we could liquidate in a reasonable period of time or wouldn't mind owning that's the first hurdle second hurdle is serviceability and this is where we differ from the OSFI and the A and B regulations. Under those A and B and OSFI regulations, you have to be able to prove serviceability. And I'll tell you, I'm one myself. I'm self-employed. You probably are too, Corey. And if you went to the bank today, what they look at, they don't care what you take out in dividends. They don't care what you take out in shareholders loans. They don't care what you draw out. All they care about is what you show on your notice of assessment and on your T4 income. That's it. Well, there's not very many self-employed people that don't take out a minimum amount of T4 income for obvious reasons. Keeps money in the company, reduces taxes, all those things. So if you're self-employed and your T4 says $60,000, $80,000, you're not even gonna be close to be able to qualify for a mortgage. We, on the private side, we look at the whole picture, okay? Guy's got great credit, servicing debt mortgage now, has good income in his company. We don't have to meet that T forward income qualification. So next thing we look at, is there a reasonable expectation that this borrower can service that debt regardless of what his T forward income might be? So we look at location and marketability, then we look at serviceability, and then the next part is, okay, let's look at the overall picture. Credit rating, net worth, and again, we have no regulations in this regard, but we have to use reasonableness, knowing that our first interest, no pun intended, lies with our investors. Those are our clients. The borrower is the broker's client and the lender's client is our investors and then of course loan to value are we 50% loan to value are we 80% loan to value every deal is so different you could have a really really strong borrower in a major center with a high credit rating good income just doesn't meet the a or b world asking for an 80% on a purchase we might do that then you might have a borrower that's not as strong weaker credit rating, tough to qualify income-wise, but he wants 50% loan-to-value. Well, based on the lower loan-to-value, we might even do that. Would we give that second borrower that I just mentioned, would we give him 70% loan-to-value? Probably not. So we adjust our loan-to-values on strength of the borrower and appeal of the property. And they vary from
0: 50 to 80. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you did touch on this a little bit, but can you maybe speak to what are some more risky deals? Obviously, if you're in a remote location, you said marketability. Would you consider maybe a former grow up or a house with a wood foundation? Are those considered higher risk because of the
1: marketability? Absolutely. Yep. It's funny how uh, wood foundation homes have such a stigma to them. You know, there's not a whole lot of proof to say that they're bad, but there's just a lot of stigma. I own personally a home. Don't anymore in Invermere, BC, and it had a wood foundation basement. Boy, I had a lot of adversity trying to sell that property because of that one factor.
0: Yeah. And if the market's not hot, people take more time, they do more due diligence, and then they can be
1: more particular as
0: well as to what the product
1: You take two exact homes, exact homes right next door to each other one with a wood foundation, one with a concrete foundation. The wood foundation, I might do it 60, 65%. The concrete foundation, I might bump up to 70, 75%. Just yeah. account for that negative factor.
0: Would it go into, you know, sometimes you see a bungalow with one bedroom on Main. Maybe it's a good size bungalow, but it really is not that marketable to the general public, you know, because, right? So would that be a factor as well? You know, if I was flipping that house and you see, oh, it only has one bedroom on Main, your buyer pool is probably 10% or less now.
1: And that's what we look at, buyer pool. What is our buyer pool here? Great homes, particularly we see these in rural areas with no basements. Got to cut back the loan of value. You just have to. It yeah. just cuts that buyer pool down so much.
0: That makes sense. I used to own a home inspection company and I saw you know what I considered higher risk as well in most days. And it just kind of factors into as if you're purchasing it, right? And who's going to fund it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so what provinces are you guys, what areas are you guys focusing on?
1: We are licensed in both Alberta and BC. So, A lot of our peers are licensed in Ontario. A lot of them are. That's just a market that just had no need to pursue and don't know the market there. There's tons of competition there. We're good in Alberta and BC, so that's where we're focused on, licensed and regulated in both provinces. Nice. So now let's
0: say, I want to maybe flipping houses or something, and I want to reach out to you guys. What type of information would you require from me in order to maybe access funds to do a property flip?
1: Fix and flip is key product in the private world. It's just one of the key products. The other key product, if you are to ask me, what's another key product? It would be construction financing. But your question relates to fix and flip, so I'm going to start there. Basically, you have to have some skin in the game. So we're hoping for a 20% down payment on the initial purchase price. So you buy a house for 400,000. We want to see 20% in after that, depending on how the numbers work, you may not have to put any more money in at all, because then what we do is we require a detailed budget as to what renovations are you going to do? Then we will require an appraisal on an as complete basis. So you're gonna put in 50 grand and that house is gonna go from 400 to 550, okay? And on the as complete value, we probably wanna be in that 75% range as complete. So if you take the 550 times 75%, I should have used easier numbers because I have no idea what that is. (laughs) Anyways, and that might be enough to cover the purchase price less your 20% plus 100% of your renovations. So every house is different. Every project's different. The key on the fix and flips is you've got to be in a market where there's a pretty good expectation that that property will sell. And you mentioned the district that you live in in Calgary, that would be a prime fix and flip Acadia, Haysboro, you know, any one of these areas are good fix and flip areas. Populations of 50,000 or more is a good criteria to use for fix and flip. Again, it comes to that buyer pool, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. no you said the word appraisal. Like, so you want to know what I estimate my ARV to be, right? My after repair value. Do you require an appraiser, like to pay an appraiser, like a banquet, to come yep. in and? Oh, yep. do you do? Okay. Yep. And then would they give an ARV as well, or is it? Oh, uh for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Okay. okay. Now, is that an in-house thing, or is that something that would be external? No, it is external. Okay. I'm not a licensed appraiser, nor are my underwriters, nor do I have appraisers on staff so is an external okay
0: and then you mentioned the construction financing maybe you could speak to that and if i was looking to build a new infill or something what would be required and what are you seeing investors do
1: sure the builders and i'm going to call them builders as opposed to investors okay for whatever reason there's a high reluctance for The A-level financial institutions to provide construction financing. High reluctance. Very few are doing it, and it is probably the one most sought-after product in my world, is construction financing. Most people come to us and they have a takeout arrangement with TD Bank. Sure, go build your house, and when it's done, come to us and we'll give you a mortgage and we'll pay out Cedar Peaks. Pretty good situation all the way around, okay? So what we look at on our construction, and it is fairly detailed, but in simple forms, we will finance up to 80% of the costs, including land and hard costs or construction costs, okay? And even some soft costs. And so we take that and we take 80% and we go, okay, this is our maximum financing on this particular house. Part two of that is we then take an as complete appraised value which we just talked about an appraiser will take a look at the budget and the specs the plans and so on and do a hypothetical appraisal based upon that information that he was given and of course his out is if that house is not built to the information i was given my appraisal is invalid but that hasn't cost us any grief yet so we take the as complete appraised value and we calculate up to 70% of the value. So we have the one calculation, 80% of cost. Second calculation, 70% of as complete value. We take the lesser of those two, and that would be the amount of financing that we would provide on that home. We do it on a draw basis, very typical draw basis, land, foundation, lockup, drywall. We throw in an extra advance, somewhere halfway between drywall and completion and then the final completion draw. So we're pretty flexible on draws. It's a great product, probably our most sought after product right now.
0: And then like who's going to site and saying, okay, well it's framed and you know, this has been completed, so now we're gonna release more money. Who's doing that for, for you? Our appraiser, the original appraiser. Okay, so they're okay. gonna go back. And what phases do you typically see a cash draw then during a construction?
1: As I just mentioned, if needed, we'll do an initial land draw. Okay? okay? I've got a lot, wants to start construction, he's paid for his lot maybe 70, 75% of the lot value. Okay. Then he gets to foundation and backfill, which is around 15% complete. And then the next stage is lockup. The lockup is just as it sounds. You can go to the house, but you're not getting in unless you break in. So doors, windows, and roof. Okay. Next stage is drywall ready for paint. Next stage is sort of halfway between the drywall and completion. We call it 80% complete. If the house is around 80% and the guy wants a draw, we're good with that. And then the final draw at 97% complete because there's always seasonal deficiencies and we'd like to see the house ready for an occupancy permit for that final draw. So we give up to six draws.
0: Interesting. But do you see the MLI select? Do you see many people do in the construction phase, especially investors? So CMHC has a product called MLI select where you can amortize over. 50 years. Do you see many investors maybe funding build with you guys and then switching over to something like that, a product like that?
1: Yeah. I get requests more for multifamily projects that, hey, if you help get this to complete, then at the end, we'll roll it out into a CMHC-insured product.
0: Yeah. so Which makes sense. I mean, that's a great product to be able to that, use, right? Yeah. Is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you guys maybe do that I haven't touched on?
1: You know, a lot of people don't understand why private lenders are there. We are a short-term solution. You don't want to come to me unless you have to. And I tell people that all the time, look it, don't come to me unless you have to. But if we can be of assistance to you on a short-term basis, hopefully a year, maybe two years max, and Corey, you mentioned at the beginning, get your credit rating up, get your tax returns filed, get your financial statements up to date, Those types of things will move you up that rung on the ladder. So we're there to get them from the C rung to the A or B rung. We're not bad people. We're not loan sharks. We're here to help people move up and gain assets, gain equity in real estate. Construction is a fine product of that. We do a lot of spousal buyouts. So as you know, divorces are a fact of life. And usually one spouse ends up owning the house, but has to buy the other spouse out. Well, you just can't walk into the bank and go, hey, I'd like to take my husband off the mortgage, please. And off title, And the bank says, no way. So they come to us and we do the mortgage in the spouse's name only. The other spouse moves on, gets paid off. They have to wait three to six months and then they go back to an alien.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know about how about bridge loans? Do you guys help out people with bridge loans that just need that?
1: Yeah, and I'll be honest, there are other institutions that are more suited to bridge loans, you know, 10, 12 days. I'm not really set up for that, but we have done in the smaller amounts, 50, 100, 200,000. Yeah, we can handle those. But if you're needing a bridge loan of 800,000, I'm not your guy.
0: Have you had any scenarios where
1: you actually did have to take ownership of a property? Oh, 20 years. Absolutely. (laughs) I wouldn't be doing my job if that answer was, no, never. Yeah, of course we have. Uh, Circumstances change. We make good decisions on the day we make that decision based on the information and the economic conditions in place at that time. But as we all know, things change, right? Interest rates change, employment status changes, divorce status changes, or marital status changes. A lot of it is unforeseeable. And so, yeah, we've had to commence foreclosure proceedings. We hope that during the foreclosure proceeding that we're able to liquidate the property under the court order and sale order and get our investors out with at least principal, which would mean a positive return for them. Because while the loan was in existence up to the time of default, they earned some interest. So they may end up getting a face rate of 10. But at the end of the day, that face rate might be net four or five but still positive return. We just don't want to see any principal losses in our business model. That's what we try and avoid at all costs. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't care if you're the Royal Bank or TD Bank or any one of them. Every single one has mortgage defaults, millions of dollars of credit card defaults. They all account for that. It's just the nature. If you were in the lending business, no matter what rung you're on, you will have defaults. You just nice. got to minimize them because, of, again, if my investors see Mark, we got too many loans going in default, see you later. I'm going somewhere else. Not good for my business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, it's been great chatting with you. I'm going to hit you with a few like, quick response questions here just to wrap up. So, uh, what type of things do you like doing outside of the lending business with your downtime? Golf
1: and uh, watching the NFL football.
0: Nice. Awesome. Pittsburgh
1: Steelers, big That's win last night.
0: <laughs> awesome! Can you uh, share a either a movie or a book that
1: you'd recommend? Shawshank Redemption's one of my favorites. I like all crime stuff. I really do like crime. You know, Forty Eight Hours Mystery, uh, Dateline. I'm kind of you into know, that kind of stuff. So nice uh, yeah. that stuff. Books. I'm not a heavy reader, but if there's any attended for four or five years in a row, a business summit down with five of the most leading sought after fortune 500 business guys in the states or some was held in las vegas all of them have written amazing books if you want to just help your personal growth and business growth their names are larry wingett w-i-n-g-e-t randy pennington and scott mccain m-c-c-a-i-n and one other one would be joe callaway and they have all written amazing books Larry is a no-nonsense guy. Crazy books like You're Broke Because You Want to Be, What's Wrong with the Whole World Other Than Everything, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault, Turn off <laughs> get a life. He's more of a take responsibility, quit blaming life. Uh, Randy Pennington, he's a little more understanding and sympathetic to humanity. Scott McCain, his whole thing is iconic and distinction. How can you become different from your competition? They're great reads, great blogs, great websites, great Facebook followers. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's where I get a lot of my knowledge from is these guys. They're awesome. So
0: I just wanted to thank you for being on the show again. And how do people get into contact with you and investors, that kind of thing they want to reach out? What's the best way for them to reach out?
1: So mark, M-A-R-K, at cedarpeaksmortgage.ca. That's the easiest one. We do have a website, cedarpeaksmortgage.ca. And again, we're always looking for both sides of our business. New investors that are accredited. And this is a good thought to put out. Have you ever thought about investing in real estate, but don't know how or don't want the hassle, okay? Those investors are the people we're looking for. Because you can invest in real estate, get a return of 8, 9, 10, maybe higher percent without any hassle. We do everything. We do the due diligence. We do the administration, all you need to do is sit in Palm Springs and see the monthly deposit to your account, okay? <laughs> we have a lot of those, believe yeah, it. Yeah, no, I believe it, yeah. <laughs> so for any investors that listen to the show, if you're looking to maybe do invest in real estate, but don't want the hassle, would welcome an opportunity. My cell number is 403-850-3373. And then for anybody else, You don't have to go through a broker to get to me for a borrowing product. Again, that contact will get you directly to me and my underwriters. And if you're looking to borrow funds on a private basis, we'd be happy to talk to you. You don't need to go through a mortgage broker. Awesome, well, it was a real pleasure having you on the show, and thanks again. My pleasure, thank you. I uh, hope uh, your listeners uh, gain some value, and uh, Corey, again, I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate
0: Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at peckfordcorey, or my website is coreypeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group. So Craig for short, please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.